this month's edition of Slugger TV. On this episode, we're going to be looking at the impact that the coronavirus is having on our local economy and some of the main developments that could come uh, from this pandemic. And to go through this really interesting topic, we have Ram McAleer, business journalist at the Irish News. We have Paul Gosling, who is a policy advisor with the SDLP and also an economist. And we have Tina McKenzie, who is the chair of the Federation of Small Businesses in Northern Ireland. Uh, Ran, I just want to ask, because you've been uh, writing about this and lots of the developments that have been happening, what are you picking up from most of the businesses that you've been dealing with, um, how they're handling uh, the pandemic? So it is, I suppose it's fair to say it's changing on a day-to-week basis. Initially, I suppose back when Rishi Sunak announced the jobs package, there was a little bit of central relief, um, particularly in the hospitality sector. Um, the idea that staff salaries, 80% of staff salaries would be guaranteed by the government. That was a massive, uh, massively huge relief. Then the um, the financial packages that, that have been subsequently announced by Stormont, those things um, took a little bit of pressure off, but um, just looking here, today's, um, we're right in the middle of April, about one month on since businesses here started to close. And a lot of those businesses still haven't seen any of that money. And the furlough scheme, the, the time is really ticking on here. So the biggest issue I'm actually hearing this week um, on the recent days, and sure Tina's hearing the same, is cash flow. These businesses are running short in cash. A lot of them are, just don't have any left. So if you have no cash flow, um, you know, it's fair enough you're going to be able to pay your staff. But if you can't pay your overheads that, are, that haven't gone away, um, you know, your business is in danger. And with no end in sight, really, at the minute, there's a lot of people very, very worried whether there's going to be business there to reopen and the, the trade bodies, the business bodies representing these um, businesses are, are quietly um, up in the tempo here saying, look, um, you know, we have a health crisis, but there's a very real economic crisis on the horizon. And some, are, some of us are actually saying it's actually here. So, so we've just been listening to the level of panic creeping up. Um, I'm talking to Colin Neal there um, this week of Hospitality Ulster and, He's telling me that he's having grown men in tears down the phone. Um, people are in desperation. Um, and that, that, that's not hyperbole. That, that, that's, that is real local businesses. People just are panicked, don't know what to do. Um, they can't see an end in sight. And so, so that's the real human um, you know, story behind your local family business. Tina, um, you, uh, through the Federation of Small Business, you must be hearing uh, similar things. I mean, I, I read I read the article from Colin Neal uh, during the week, and more than 60,000 people employed uh, in that sector alone. And then obviously lots of small businesses seem to be falling through the cracks. I was just chatting to a small business owner a few days ago. He was saying they're going to get next to nothing from the Chancellor's um, scheme. Um, so, Tina, what are you picking up? Well, I mean, bearing in mind that Northern Ireland, particularly um, outside of the other regions, we have more people here employed in small business as a percentage than the rest of the UK and Ireland and, and the Republic of Ireland. So there are more people employed by small business than the whole of the public sector and big business put together. So, you know, I think it's important that hospitality is heard. Uh, they were one of the first to be hit, but I also think it's important not to lose sight that this isn't just one sectoral issue. And I think Colin's done a good job about getting his voice heard, um, but actually this is across the sectors. The local pub is having as tough a time as the local butcher, you know, and the local joiner. And so across the board, what we're really seeing is that there was an initial fear 
And then the government came out with some of the schemes. People seemed to relax a little bit and thought, right, okay, I'm going to be able to pay people at least 80% of their salary, which, which gave a great comfort to those employers. Um, and also with the rates, uh, the fact that we got the, the rates holiday as well, but only for three months, whereas in GB, they got the certainty of 12 months, but only across certain sectors. We're calling for Stormont to give us certainty over 12 months, the way they have in GB. Um, so working everything on a three-month scheme, like the furlough scheme is a three-month scheme, it's no way for them to plan to do their business. And the one thing we realized pretty quickly was that they hadn't said, now, of course, you know, a lot of this, everybody's caught up on the hop with a lot of this, including the government, but um, you can't actually claim for your furloughed cash until you're in the third week of April. There's then going to be a 15-day window before you get the cash. That's assuming the system doesn't crash. That's we are working 100% processes. Um, so I'd say, you're, you know, realistically, you're probably looking at the end of May. And then you say, okay, can those people afford to pay out those salaries with their doors being closed and no sales coming in? Just to Ryan's point, no. So there's something here, and, and we've been talking about it a lot, that people assume they're getting paid. There's not a lot of noise about it because they assume they're getting paid. Come the first month's wages at the end of April, there's going to be a bit of noise in Northern Ireland because people are going to realise for the first time that their employer doesn't have the cash to pay them. What we had in the other devolved nations of Wales and Scotland was that they've stepped in to produce some of their own devolved grant systems where we've got holes coming from some of the major funding. And um, so, for example, if you're self-employed, um, there are definitely gaps all over the self-employment support scheme. What Stormont's done particularly well that they haven't done across GB is that when we got the £10,000 grant approved for those people that are in receipt of small business rate relief, we automatically, Stormont automatically, paid that into people's bank accounts, even people who hadn't claimed for it. Now, they're not finished doing it, but I was on a call with the wider FSB UK board and they couldn't believe that we in Northern Ireland had started to get so much of that money out so quickly without people even having to fill a form in. So, you know, credit where credit's due, that's the type of funding we need where it's not jumping through hoops and we accept that the schemes we have are there and we can put the money in people's banks. But the biggest thing, as Ryan says, right now, in the next 10 days, is cash flow and people's wages. Paul, um, I know you've been writing um, for a long time about the wider Northern Ireland economy and some of the issues. Obviously, we, we weren't in great economic shape going into this anyway, particularly out, wet, out in the Northwest where you are. How do you think this is going to hit out there, which again had its own economic problems, and we were talking about that uh, leading up to the budget um, uh, before this pandemic? Well, typically recessions hit the weakest areas the worst, and therefore a lot of Northern Ireland is already weak, and you can expect that to hit. Uh, I think what we will see through the, the pandemic is an acceleration of existing economic uh, uh, factors, uh, the trends will be accelerated. So for example, we already had too many airlines in Europe, and so there will be a significant reduction in the number of airlines. Uh, and you can imagine that uh, given the difficulties that a lot of businesses in the hospitality trade were already suffering in the Northwest, a lot of those will have a much worse uh, impact than, than other businesses will. So I think that, that tourism in particular will be hit. We're already seeing real difficulties in 
break even in terms of many of the, the restaurants and cafes. So I think that you'll get an acceleration of that. Uh, and, and as both Ryan and Tina have said, uh, the big problems that there are at the moment is both in terms of the speed of support and the scope of support. Uh, those businesses that will not be supported, a lot of those will simply go down. So I think that we would expect to see as we get into recovery, that probably half the businesses will not immediately recover. Uh, some of them will recover over a slower period. But I do think as we talk about these things, David, that we need to reflect that there's an awful lot of uncertainty around the future. And that uncertainty isn't just economic, it's also about the health impact of COVID-19. Because we don't know whether people who have already got it develop immunity. We don't know whether a vaccine is possible. And given that, we don't know whether there'll be a return to a new range of infections and whether actually we can return to any sort of normality. And with that level of uncertainty, it makes economic planning very difficult for businesses. If uh, this is prolonged, um, lots of the schemes run until June that we're talking about here. So the furlough scheme runs until June. And I know the Chancellor has been talking, he, he gave the repeated phrase, whatever it takes, and we will do whatever it takes. But that is, uh, the furlough scheme is running billions over what they initially thought it was going to cost. Um, I mean, from your point of view and your experience of, of business, how, how sustainable do you think this is um, in the medium term for the UK government? I don't think they've got a choice and I don't think they would have ruled it out if they had a choice. I mean, as they say, the most used word is unprecedented, you know, um, the, we, I was actually quite shocked when they ruled out furlough in the way they did. Um, now, there is a little bit of a grey area because under the scheme, it says you can avail of the scheme if your business has been detrimentally affected. Well, we haven't heard the definition of that. In the Republic of Ireland, we have a scheme where we can claim back 70% of the salaries up to a level of our staff if we keep them in work, which is interesting. Um, and we're seeing a very different pattern in the Republic than we are in the North, by the way, in terms of what's going on. I think it's because of the schemes. Um, but what the Republic of Ireland, uh, the government in the South say that as long as businesses have been detrimentally affected on revenue by 25%, there isn't such clarity in the United Kingdom. So I don't know if in the future um, HMRC or anyone in Treasury may try and use that against businesses and um, so I firmly believe and from what I'm hearing and we're talking a lot to government I firmly believe that if this is an extended period they will extend the schemes with it I don't think they've any choice um, and Paul just I know you um, you focus a lot on the uh, the economy from a from a left-wing perspective I just wondered what you made of um, Tina was talking about the the jaw-dropping scale of the of the measures that were announced by the by the relatively new chancellor it's hard to believe he's only been in office in the post for about seven weeks um uh, what did you make of basically uh, a tory chancellor of the exchequer basically nationalizing the private sector economy well we've got precedent for that haven't we uh, obama did something similar uh, in response to the 2008 crisis uh, the uk government had to go through with the uh, effective nationalization of uh, some of the banking sector after the 2008 crisis so i don't think we should be particularly surprised by that but i do think we need to be aware of some of the implications of this david uh, because i think in the end a lot of this is going to have to be financed through the creation of new money supply and that means implicitly a 
devaluation effectively of sterling, perhaps if other countries like the, uh, the US is not as badly affected in terms of its economy, uh, if it doesn't have to create additional money supply in order to finance its, its mechanisms. Uh, and you can see that that potentially might lead to inflation and a lot of tensions. So I'm, I'm concerned about some of the knock-on implications of this. I also would be worried about the, 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 the ability of charities to raise money. Um, but I think as we emerge, we're going to have to think about a different structure of society. Uh, we are going to have to, on both sides of the border, put more money into the health service. I think it's clear that we did not have the capacity to deal with this type of crisis. And as we've already discussed, it might continue for some time. And we also need to think about the implications in terms of the social care sector and also probably for homelessness, because if people fall ill because they are street sleepers or they have uncertain uh, accommodation arrangements, then actually that impacts on the rest of the population. So I think we're going to have to rethink over the longer term a lot of those implications for the way our society is structured and what that means in taxation revenues. And can I just come in on that point? Because I think there's also an opportunity here. You know, if I walk, uh, if I go across the streets, and I'm a key worker, so I'm allowed out. <laughs> so if I go across the streets of Belfast, uh, you can't see the homelessness, you know, at the moment because people, there, a solution has been found. And it shouldn't take a crisis like this to find a solution. If you go into A&E, believe it or not, A&E is empty. Now, part of that is because there's no sports and people aren't fighting in pubs and you're not getting all of it. You know, you're not getting all that. But, you know, is there an opportunity there where we've been slow locally to implement uh, proper uh, specialist services for our hospitals here? Is there a real opportunity now for our local government to say, okay, we have organized ourselves with the matter in the city in these specialist ways. Let's now, whilst people are open to it, let's get our services set up in the way they should have been. I think we'll have a new, I think for all people working with the community spirit, I think there should be a new energy to people in Northern Ireland being more open to working together. You know, maybe we can look at the education system again. I just think there is an opportunity here with, with a crisis like this to potentially learn from what what we weren't making decisions on before. Um, Ran, I just want to um, ask you about this. In terms of um, how do you think, obviously our devolved government has only been back for just a little over three months now. Um, how do you think they've handled this from the economic aspect in the short period of time that they, for, for a relatively new government, how do you think they've handled it? Well, I suppose it's difficult in terms of finances for Stormont because they, you know, they get the block grant and you know they have to divvy up that with best they can. I mean, there is a slight irony in all of this, and that we had Rishi Sunak coming in, and we have to remember that even before, um, uh, before this all hit, the new chancellor was brought in for a reason to let money rain in the economy. I mean, Boris Johnson was going to open the cash cash valves into the economy. That that was a given. So, so we have this sort of. Um, Chancellor and, and Prime Minister, who were more than willing to take up an almost labour spending um, approach to funding the, the national economy. So, we've against that, you know, we've more or less been told that the, we'll find the money for whatever you need. You know, they're they're just letting money rain at the minute, it seems. But and that has filtered in the, uh, through the traditional Barnett formula. But I wonder whether that's really letting getting the money through to enough businesses here. We have about a billion, I think, we're at in terms of. COVID-19 funding for Stormont. We just passed that mark in recent days. And, but it's still, we're, we're, we're treated like a government department and that we have to you know, take our budget and spread that out as best we can. I mean, to be, to be fair, I think Tina's hinted at this. We had some measures there in place 
The small business rates relief was already there. So that £10,000 funding for those businesses with an NAV below £15,000, that was automatically, that, that went out there. And they've also responded, I mean, you have to give um, Deanne Dodds and the Department for Economy credit, they responded to the, the derating um, situation there. Uh, for people that weren't aware, we have a special rate situation for small manufacturers. They have a significant cut in their rates. So that took them out of that cash grant. So the money was found. We got them back in. Although it's, it's going to cost, cost about $25 million, um, you know, to get that money to those small manufacturers. That's going to, coming out of, I think, a £40 million extra fund that was found for businesses. So in some ways, you know, that, that was good. The pressure was on there. We got that done. Um, we responded to that. But you just wonder about the aspects of the economy which don't have a voice. Um, you know, as, as we talked about, the likes of hospitality manufacturing are very good at you know getting representing their members. And those trade bodies have done their job. Um, you, you just sort of worry that maybe there's people out there maybe don't have that voice and aren't aren't getting that money there. So, I, I mean, from where I stand, and the, the biggest issue I think is we have, we do have the RHA loom in the background, which I think is looming over this in terms of. We've had the £10,000 for grants, that's been automatic, but we've had to set up this new grant, this 25000 for 4,000 businesses. And so to get that set up, apparently we've had, this officials will have to set up a completely new scheme. And I think you can see this word in the back of people's heads, you know, see the scrutiny from the RHA, every um, you know, T being crossed and I being dotted. And there's almost a tendency to overdo things and you know, there's too much bureaucracy in Stormont because we have to remember um, the local authorities in England have been given this £25,000 grant themselves to roll out and the money's already arrived on accounts, whereas in Stormont, um, you know, we've been told we're going to open it on April 20th. It's going to be 15 working days to process it. We're going to verify every business. So, I mean, you're as I said before, you're, you're talking in the middle of May, so that money is just going to come too late for some people. So, um, Tina, I read your piece in the newsletter um, where you were talking about there is a temptation during a crisis to, to act for the sake of acting. Um, I just wonder, could you just pick up on that a wee bit and again link that into some of the things Stormont's been doing as well? Yeah, well, I, I think what we have to remember is that the big ticket items, the big money is coming from London. The, the, even though it's it's in the billions what's in our block grant, it's not going to pay the bills on any of this stuff. So when you look at what's in the pot for furlough, what's in the pot for the loans and, and all the other money that's that's going in over and above, you know, how much Stormont's really got to, to spend is not a lot when you look at what, what we can get out of London. And in terms of, you know, to Ryan's point about, you know, getting the voices heard, it's interesting. I, I, I was on a Secretary of State call earlier I'm in, I'm in that forum group that Diane Dodds has set up and I'm speaking regularly to London through the board of the FSP. And we've been nearly negotiating with the governments. And so we've been really heavily involved in some of the detail of the stuff coming out of London, which I think is more, is going to be bigger amounts of money for the people in Northern Ireland rather than the 10K or the 25K, which might get you through a month. Um, when we talk about, you know, some of the stuff they're doing now, how is that actually going to impact business for the longer term? So. A lot of conversations are going on right now around uh, director's responsibilities. And when you're a director and you have to sign a, a set of accounts, you have to say, hand on heart, that this is a going concern. Now, in the middle of COVID-19, directors are getting very nervous about signing off to say any business is a going concern. I'm also hearing a lot about businesses that a lot of people are saying, I've been through what happened in the last recession. I was even through the one before that. 
I'm not keen on doing another one, I'm getting out. So a lot of people have had enough and where they might've went another five or six years are saying, I'm not going back in after this or I'm selling my business. And what you've got with a lot of big business around, around the world actually, especially in the Western world is, believe it or not, some large companies love a good recession because it clears out the, the, the field in a sense, shuts down the small people and they take market share. And so I think when we're thinking, when the government are thinking about these schemes and they're, they're putting out something and then we're getting 10 different updates on how that should work. You know, for me, some of it is with clarity for people is be take another week and then be absolutely clear. Think it through and think about the cash flow element for small businesses. So I think pe people want something done and they want to hear something and they want to feel safe and know the government's working. And sometimes I think uh, our, our governments speak and we all do speak. Uh, too quickly because it's needed and it isn't thought through in terms of how it's going to work. And in terms of, you know, what we're seeing from Stormont, you know, for the very first time in a very long time, we've heard people speak with a joined up voice at the beginning of all of this. That was quite new for us. And that was also a bit kind of in this place that they could come and call each other, even their first names and, you know, refer to each other. And you're right about this and that kind of got lost in the middle somewhere where they had a disagreement and you know you talk about collective responsibility you're either all in or you're not and i guess you could argue we don't actually have an opposition so who effectively is scrutinizing them because they're all in together then you might say well actually that in a crisis that's exactly what you want everybody putting together but then when you've got someone going off then it creates disharmony and it creates a lack of trust and and i would completely agree with ryan in that some of the stuff that i'm seeing where some people here want to tweak the schemes that are coming across the UK. It's just crazy. It's wanting to tweak for the sake of tweaking. They're saying it's because Northern Ireland's different, but there's a lot of times we don't have capacity to tweak and run those schemes in a different way, which RHI proved, and there are many other examples. So I'd like people to stop, like for example, you know, Connor Murphy, fair play, gave the rates relief for three months to everybody, wonderful. It doesn't really help us if we don't have it. I much would have rather had it for the 12 months, the way they did it in GB. That really would have helped our businesses much more. So where sometimes I think they think they're doing the right thing, I think they should think again and think deeper about it and consult more. Paul, on Stormont and their approach to this, how do you think um, uh, they've, um, they've responded? I think that Stormont has a problem with developing strategy and everyone has a problem in thinking strategically during a crisis and I think that's as true of Stormont as it is of Westminster. I do think that Dublin has shown itself much superior to the other administrations in terms of recognizing at a much earlier stage the scale of the crisis that COVID-19 represented. Uh, and as someone who believes in Irish unity, I think actually that the, 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 the capacity of the Irish government to deal with matters and also Leo Varadkar's speech where he drew Ireland together is an example. And I haven't seen uh, very much apart from, I, I do think, uh, putting aside party labels, I, I do think that Colm Eastwood's had uh, made some very strong statements that were absolutely correct. Um, I think that too much between the DUP and Sinn Féin has broken down, as Ryan said, on traditional green-orange lines, and we nearly really need to put that to aside, especially when we still haven't got PPE uh, lined up for so many people.
Okay, um, a lot of things has been talked about this. Obviously, we're doing a virtual Slugger TV here for the first time on Zoom. Um, anyone who's doing any business work, obviously, has been getting used to Zoom, Skype, and all these online services. Um, Ran, I'll start with you. Is this the wave of the future? Will we see, I mean, obviously, journalists are facing this as well. Will newsrooms essentially be done away with? Will offices as we know them essentially be done away with? What do you think will, will be the wave of the future? I was actually thinking about this this morning myself, and you know, because suppose you know, put my hands up. I, I I've actually um, since I've been at Irish News working a day a week at home, um, so I've only been doing those four days a week in Belfast, and you know, I've, I've gone up to five. So I I was a little bit prepared for this, but um, I mean, just thinking about this, really, um, what would be the long term implications of this, and the fact that so many businesses now, um, these major employers are going to see this as an op as a potential um, opportunity here maybe will will be will it impact commercial property in Belfast will we see businesses um, take on property smaller properties with the idea that a certain percentage of their workforce will be working at home could it impact traffic um, th th those are you know, more wider societal things in terms of newsrooms um, I think you know it depends how long it goes on for um, if, if we're in a situation where that this has become the new reality for the next um, three to six months then yes, you know that that you know that this will become entrenched. If it's going to be just um, one to two months, people maybe will slowly slip back into old working practices. So it's just really how long this goes on for. But I mean, for a lot of people, we've had to respond and set up set these things up, and it's opened people's eyes to opportunities. For example, so so for me, um, I mean, I would like to maybe ask. I I like being in Belfast. You know, I do like working traveling up to belfast and being there i like meeting people face to face as a journalist i don't think you can be a good year well i don't think you can be the best possible journalist by not meeting people face to face but i mean would i like to take use this technology to work more from home save money um be less on the road see my family more of course you know it's it's, it's a given so i mean that that's the real sort of family i mean i've never seen my kids more i can't remember ever sleeping more um so uh, there's no the, the daily commute is is walking across the London, you know, and um, and it's down the stairs in the evening for dinner. So, I mean, it, it's had this upside. I mean, you know, you just wonder will will some employers see this as you know will this change things? This is probably the thing that could change things: the home working situation. David, if I can add a point, I think the in a sense more significant than people being used to home working is people being even more used to online shopping. I think the big change that we'll see is a big increase even more in online retailing. And the impact of that will be not just in shopping habits, but also what that means in tax collection. So I think there'll be a much bigger push to collect taxes globally to tackle tax avoidance, to tackle tax evasion. And that actually will perhaps be one of the big changes permanently to the business environment going forward. Okay. Uh, Tina, I know you you uh, have experience running businesses, so I'm just wondering from your point of view, do you think that online uh, working, uh, digital working from home, do you think that this will shift that away from office space? Yeah, um, but just, just quickly to Paul's point, I think he is absolutely spot on. We are going to start looking at some of those bigger businesses that move cash around the globe. And I think the reason we're doing it, we're going to have to do that is that someone's going to need to pay for all this money we're spending. And it's not going to come out of your normal taxation. These are big numbers that are going to have to be joined up in some other way. And we've already heard those nuances from the government saying they're going to have 
look at even with self-employed people how we tax them versus PAYE. In terms of how we're all working now at home, so I had 150 people working for me. I have offices all over Ireland, nearly in every town. And if you'd have asked me before COVID-19, could our organisation sustain itself? And was I comfortable with everybody where possible working from home? I'd said absolutely no way. I was absolutely wrong because I think culturally, and this goes, I guess, across uh, Western society, we've taught ourselves that if you're not there, you're not working. And that's been a bad thing. And we're all much more comfortable about working from home because so many of us are doing it. So our bosses are doing it, our employees are doing it, where people can, obviously some small businesses and bigger businesses, they can't. Um, so I actually think that we're going to see much more of that. Now, our towns need to change. Our towns and cities need to change anyway, because we're seeing a real decline in the high street, irrespective of this. This will just speed that up. But what we are seeing is a return to our old fashioned ways of, I've got a fruit man who's now delivering to me and to find a milkman, you know, and or woman as the case may be. So we're seeing a return to uh, more businesses doing deliveries. And I think that will continue because it makes life easier. And the biggest thing of all of that is the environmental impact. If you look across the, the, the rivers and the mountains and, you know, Things are just, and even listening to the birds, are they louder or is it that we're listening to them? I don't know, but it feels to me we're certainly having a positive um, environmental impact and we've got to carry that with us as well. Folks, that is that brings us to the end of our time today. We only scratched the surface. We probably could have done another 30 minutes uh, on this. But thank you for taking part in our first virtual Slugger uh, TV. I uh, want to thank Ryan McAleer, Tina McKenzie and Paul Gosling. That's it for us uh, for Slugger TV. We will be back again with you next month. In the meantime, you can keep up to date with everything on sluggerutil.com. Thank you for watching.